That was a good time of worship, wasn't it? Amen. I told Jeff, you know, I'm teaching, and I said, man, that was good just having that. I'm ready to go home. I had enough. But it's good. It's good to see you guys tonight. I, you know me. I love to teach the Word of God, and whenever I get opportunity to do it, I, I really, really do enjoy it. And I'm excited about what we're going to look at tonight. If you do have your Bible... You can turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 1 through 10. But I want to back up a little bit, and I want to look at uh, chapter 5 a little bit, just kind of remind you of uh, what was said last week. I love the Apostle Paul. I love it. I tell you what, next to Jesus, he's my hero. He really is. And uh, in chapter 5, Paul spoke of, uh, I better put my glasses on. I can see it, but it works okay. works better. Oh, it's better that way. Uh, he spoke of the hope and the promise of, of new heavenly bodies that we're going to get. And I'm not getting younger. And, you know, when I was young, I didn't really appreciate that verse. But as I'm getting older, I'm really appreciating that. One day I'm going to get rid of this old body and get a new body, and, and I'm going to love that. Paul also kind of encouraged people and, and I, I think tried to help them not fear death. And I know that so many times people fear death. And as Christians, we don't need to fear death, guys. Because the Bible says that when we're absent from this body, if I drop dead right here preaching, that'd be a great way to go home, wouldn't it, Jeff? That'd be great. I want to go home preaching the word, fly fishing or surfing. Those are my great passions. Or hanging out with my family. But if I did, if I dropped immediately dead right here this minute, I'd be home with Jesus. I'd be in the presence that we were thinking, singing about tonight. And what an awesome thing that would be. Paul reminded the people of the church in Corinth that we don't live by sight. We don't live by what we see, but we live by what? By faith. By faith. And that's hard to do from time to time, isn't it, guys? It really, really is. And he also spoke to the church there and said, you know, your life needs to be controlled with the love of God always. And that's not so easy to do, is it? It's hard. It really, really is hard to have God's love control us at all times. Paul was speaking that to this church, and, and he told him, he said, listen, in the New American Standard Bible that I used to preach out of for years and years, it said that we're new creations in Christ. I'd love that. I remember reading that verse when I was a brand new Christian. I said, wow, all the old things are done away, and now I get to start all new again. And what a wonderful thing that is. And, and because of that, God has reconciled us to himself because of what his son did on the cross. And he's given us that, that same kind of ministry to reconcile people to the Lord. Tonight, as we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to see Paul's heart. We really are. And as I said, he's my hero. He really is. And... I like knowing people's hearts, and I want you guys to know, and you hear me say it so much, God's so much concerned about our heart, more so than anything else. He really is. He knows our hearts better than we know our heart. And we know that's desperately wicked and it's twisted, but we're to follow hard after the Lord. That's what kind of hearts that we're supposed to have. Paul describes his ministry and his life, and it was a tough life. It wasn't easy. It really wasn't. Our young pastors in training, take notes tonight because I'm going to tell you, you're going to learn what ministry is all about. 
And being a servant of God isn't an easy thing. It's not for the faint of heart. It really isn't. I was a senior pastor for 18 years, and my wife and I ministered for 30 years. Boy, I tell you, you can't have a faint heart. You really can't. There's a lot of things that'll just kind of wow, shock you at times, but there's great joy that comes too. Paul had such a passion, such great passion. That's why he did what he did. And he knew that it was a privilege to preach the gospel, to stand up before people and to share the, the, the words of life with people. For anybody that, that speaks God's truth, it is a privilege. It truly is, guys. And he did it whether people loved him or whether they hated him, whether he was having good times or he was having hardship and trouble. And trouble followed him wherever he went. He had the false teachers that, that as he would go in and he would start a church, they'd come right next couple weeks around there and just try and disrupt everything that he had just done. What a terrible thing. That's the kind of things that, that he was facing as a, as a servant of God, but he did it with great passion and great joy. Let's stand up as I read uh, verses uh, one and two, as we honor God's word, as we always do, his holy scriptures. Well, I haven't said that in a long time, but that's what they are. Verse one says, as God's partners, we beg you not to accept, excuse me, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness and then ignore it. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you on the day of salvation, I helped you. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you so much for your word. We truly do, for your holy scriptures. We thank you that they teach us, that they train us, that, that God, they speak to us and tell us what we're supposed to be doing, what we're not supposed to be doing. Give us revelation tonight, Lord. Open our hearts. I think our hearts are already softened, Lord, because we've been at your throne room tonight worshiping you. Let the seeds of life be planted here in Jesus' name. And they all said, amen. Why don't you all sit down? Partners, God's partners. Wow, what does that mean? Well, literally in the Greek, it means that, that we are to work together. My wife works at Starbucks, so keep going there. It keeps her in business. I like that. And you know what they call the people that work there? They call them partners. They're, they call them partners. They're co-workers is what they are. And it's interesting, as I studied through this, that this Greek word that is used here is the same word where we get synergy. How many of you guys know the word synergy? It was kind of trending a while back ago and stuff, a really, really big thing. But it comes from this Greek word. And the definition of that is this, the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect, what? Greater. Greater than the sum of their separate effects. Listen, church, if we work together, we could do great things. We can do greater works than we can if we do them by ourselves. Amen. And that's what Paul's trying to tell this church. They're saying, look it, you guys are partners. Start working together. Because if you work together, you can do great things for God. You truly can. Paul understood that, you know, spreading Jesus' work 
It takes, it takes teamwork. It takes teamwork to spread his love, to spread his grace. Remember when Jesus would send out his disciples? Did he send them out one by one? No, he didn't, at least always with two. Paul the apostle, when you look through all of the letters and the things that he did, he always worked as a team. You see, listen, you guys are on team Jesus. I'm on team Jesus, and Jesus is our boss. I want you to turn to somebody real quick and say, I'm on team Jesus, and he's my boss. All right? And hopefully you believe that. All right. Colossians 3 says this in the Phillips translation. It says, whatever your task is, put your whole heart and soul into it as into work done for the Lord and not merely for men. Knowing that your real reward will come from him, you are actually slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is in the context, if you looked at it in the Colossians, talking about slaves and masters, but kind of today it would be like employees and employers. And what he's trying to say there is you've got to give it all that you got. You've got to give it all that you got. You need to make sure that when you're working, you're working as unto the Lord. In chapter 5, back in there, Paul describes what we are to do and what we are, you know, as being part of the team. And I think Dustin, where's Dustin? He taught last week. Where's Dustin? I saw him in here. He's not here. He taught last week, right? I'm sure he did a great job. But in chapter 5, it says that, that we've been reconciled and that you and I now are ministers of reconciliation. We're no longer alienated from God. We're no longer strangers from him. Thank God for that. You know, the, the world that we live in, guys, is alienated from God. That's why there's so much hostility in this world. And this world is getting more and more hostile every day. You turn on the news, it's just happening about every hour or something like that. It's hostile because they're alienated from God. The Bible in chapter 5 said that you and I have been given that task of, of bringing people back into a right relationship with God. The Amplified Bible says that by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. Harmony with him. This world is in disharmony with God. That's why there's so much chaos. That's why there's so much chaos. It also says that you and I were ambassadors of Christ. You guys know what ambassadors are? I'm sure Dustin did a good job about that. But what do ambassadors do? They represent whatever nation they come from. And that they're answerable to that nation. If I was an ambassador, you know, for the USA and some other kind of country in there, I'd be answerable to our presidents. And ambassadors have to be careful what they say and how they act, don't they? If you don't act right, if you don't say the right things, guess what? You get fired. You're out. That's how it is. But you see, you and I represent not ourselves. We represent him, don't we? We represent Christ. In your job where you're strategically placed, in your school where you might go to school, or at your neighborhood or wherever you might shop, you're strategically placed there to be an ambassador for Christ, to be an ambassador. Well, here's a question I have for you guys. I don't know if Dustin asked this or not. But how are you doing as an ambassador 
and as a minister of reconciliation. How are you doing? What kind, listen to this. What kind of review would you get from team leader Jesus if he brought you in and said, hey, how are you doing? And then would Jesus give you a well-done, good and faithful servant? Would he give you a raise? How many of you think he'd give you a raise? Oh, a few, a few. Being honest, being really honest. But he's called us to do that. He talks about grace, and did you notice, I think about two or three of the songs tonight Jeff picked were about grace. And Paul was referring to her about this marvelous gift of God's kindness, and he said, don't ignore it. He, he has a strong appeal, and that's the word that's used there in the original. It's like, I'm, like he's begging them to, to not forget about God's grace. Not forget about it. Encouraging them, persuading them, trying to convince them not to reject it or to ignore it. And that's what some of the people in the church at Corinth were doing. The New American Standard Bible says that don't receive his grace in vain. In other words, it's kind of a picture of just throwing it aside. Here's an illustration I got, all right? We've received this wonderful gift from God, and it is, it is grace. And it would be like this. Somebody, maybe somebody in, 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 our, in our congregation, you're financially in debt. You need $5,000, $10,000. You don't have a job. There's no way out. Bills are a thing. It's just, it's a nightmare. And you know what somebody does? They come up to you and say, hey, sister, you know what? You need $10,000. I'm going to give you $10,000. So the person gives $10,000, and you go, wow, this is great. And then you go out and buy the biggest big screen TV that you've ever had in your life. That's kind of throwing his grace aside. You see, it's a marvelous gift. It's an awesome gift. L- l- listen to what the Bible says about grace of God. Titus 2, verse 11 through 12 says this in the Amplified. I remember reading this when I was a young Christian, and I was just learning about what God's grace is. Listen to what God's grace tells us to do here. For the grace of God, his unmerited favor and blessing, has come forward, appeared for the deliverance from sin and the internal salvation of all mankind. It has trained us to reject and renounce all ungodliness, irreligion, and worldly passion, desires to live discreet, temperate, self-controlled, upright, devout, spiritually whole lives in this present world. And then look at the Phillips translation. For the grace of God, which can save every man, has now been shown for all men, and it teaches us. Did you know grace teaches us? Grace teaches us to have no more to do with godliness or the desires of this world, but to live here and now responsible, honorable, and God-fearing lives. That's what grace is supposed to do in our lives if we really let it work. It's supposed to teach us to deny the sinful life that we have. You know, uh, It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, Jeff, you know, Monopoly. It's stuck in my head, you know. I don't have any props tonight. I don't have a bathtub. I don't have a boat. I don't have those things. But it's not a get-out-of-jail-free card, and that's what the people at Corinth were thinking that it was. 
I got this card. I can just live every way that I want. Listen, if God's grace in your life, you're going to want to deny the way you used to live. When I gave my life to Christ back in the old Jesus movement days, man, I wanted to turn 180 degrees. I wanted to go completely go the opposite direction. That's what God's grace does for us. It truly does. Uh, an acronym for, uh, for grace, and we should have it on the slide, is God's riches at Christ's expense. That just characterizes what grace is. The definition really is bestowing undeserved benefits to someone who doesn't deserve it but deserves the wrath of God. And before we gave our lives to Christ, we deserved that. But because we now have that grace of God, we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, we're saved. We don't have that wrath anymore. That is not going to happen to us. When did grace show up in the Bible? I was thinking that when I was going through this. I said, wow, when's the first time it showed up? In Genesis 6, 8, it said, but Noah found grace, favor in the eyes of God. He was a righteous man. He wasn't a perfect man. But as I looked at that, I said, you know what? This guy wanted to be right with God. That's what he wanted. He wanted a, a right relationship with God because God's favor was on him. God's grace was on him. And he wanted to live right. That's what God's grace is supposed to do for us. You know, don't ever turn our backs on grace, God. Grace, guys. Let, let it teach us to live right with God. He says here, when is the day of salvation? When is it? Today's the day of salvation. There might be somebody here tonight, you don't know Jesus. Maybe you keep coming to church and you think that you're a Christian, but maybe you really aren't. Today's the day of salvation. I used to use that verse a lot when I was sharing and witnessing to people on the streets and stuff. And I'd look at them and they say, well, I don't know. I said, look, today's the day. The Bible says it is. See, there's a sense of urgency, and that's what Paul's trying to tell the Corinthian church there. He says, there's an urgency to this. There's one day when God's going to say, I'm not doing this no more. It's over. I've given you a chance. When does that, when does that chance end for somebody? I don't know. I don't know. Hopefully not until the day that they die. And then on that day, maybe they'll remember you sharing with them that Jesus loves them. Maybe that'll happen. But there is an urgency thing here. Look at verse 3 and 4. We better get going. Um, we live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. In everything we do, and everything is everything, we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. Wow. What I see here is he's talking about having a good testimony. Odie asked me uh, to, tonight just before I spoke, he said, what are you talking about? I said, talk about a good testimony. And I'm going to tell you something. A good testimony is vitally important, guys. It really is. Without it, you and I become ineffective. We can't affect the world we live in unless we have a good testimony. And a good testimony is what it looks like outside, not inside the building, because you all look beautiful inside. You all talk great and act great. and Well, most of you act great. But it's what happens outside. It's funny, when I was studying, I, I, I kind of got on my computer and I, I put fallen pastors and bing, all this stuff starts coming up. Three guys, big mega church pastors in Florida, fallen. Man, 
Pastors are fallen all the time. Leaders are fallen all the time. Servants are fallen all the time. Proverbs 22.1 says this, Choose a good reputation over great riches. Quit playing the lottery and have a good reputation. Being held in high esteem is better than silver and gold. He said, look at, in, 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 uh, or, excuse me, in Acts chapter 6, remember the deacons that they first chose? They're having trouble in their church. They said, hey, we need some guys who are going to take care of this. You know what was the first thing they wanted to have? Good reputation. You know what one of the qualifications of an elder is? To have a good reputation, not in the church only, but outside the church. Wow. How many people would pass that test if all of a sudden we, we go out and say, well, hey, you know, I don't know who, Jim, hey, how, you know, start talking to everybody that he works with and all that kind of stuff. Wow. You know, I don't think we get a different picture, but you know what I'm saying. That's having a good reputation, not, not worrying about what my neighbor might say about me. He said, no one stumbled because of my life. Nobody, he says. Listen, be thoughtful of other people. You know what I mean? Don't cause your brother to stumble with something that maybe you've got freedom with. Romans chapter 14 talks a lot about eating and drinking and special days and stuff. I like what he says here is that no one could find fault. Paul did nothing that discredited the ministry. And there's too many people nowadays that discredit the ministry. There truly is. You know, in the 80s, we had an abundance of them. Remember, you see a lot of older people. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger, man, we had just tons of them falling by the wayside like that. It's still going on today, guys. And when those men and when those women fall, you know what they do? They discredit the ministry. It's like punching Jesus and giving him a black eye. That's what it is. Billy Graham said there was, he realized this when he first started his ministry, that there were three things. Three things that he needed to watch out for and because he knew they could take him down. Money, sexual misconduct, or power. And those are the three things today that'll take a person down. They really are. And Satan is bent on robbing, killing, and destroying pastors, leaders, and ministers. He's bent on it. He works double time, triple time, quadruple time to try and destroy those people. Because when the shepherd and when the leaders are hit, then the sheep scatter. That's what happens. It's unfortunate. Paul could boldly say he was a true minister of the gospel. Boldly, he goes, I'm a true minister of the gospel. There were a lot of guys running around during this time preaching this stuff, and it wasn't the truth. And they really weren't true ministers of the gospel. And he said, I am a true minister of the gospel. He could boldly say that. His life showed that he was a true servant of God. His life was consecrated. It was set aside for God. Did you notice there that, uh, that Paul said in, in verse 4, he said, in everything we do, we show that we are true ministers of God. We patiently endure troubles and hardships and calamities of every kind. He endured. You know what that word literally means? It means that he was never shaken by the hardship by the troubles and the calamities that he faced. And he's gonna, he's gonna, we're gonna get in and he's gonna describe some of them, but those troubles, the word that's used there in the Greek is, is the pressures that came upon him. The pressures. 
And pastors get a lot of pressure. They really do. You know, Jeff and I joke a lot, you know, because he's the senior pastor, and I just get to have fun. I was there, and we just laugh about it. But boy, I remember when, and I haven't been a senior pastor in years now, about 10 years, and I tell you, I could feel the weight and the pressure off of me the minute I, I, I said, it's time. I needed a, a sabbatical. The pressure just released. I didn't even know it was there. It was just there. The hardship he's talking about there in the Greek is distress from probably persecutions. The calamities is, it's an interesting word. It's, it's like you, you're, that he was backed into like a corner or into a room and, and he was just stuck there and he didn't even know how to get out of it. So he's saying, that's the kind of stuff that I faced as I was a true minister of the Lord. Verse five, let's go. It says this, we have been beaten. Now he starts talking about it. We have been beaten, been put in prison, faced angry mobs, worked to exhaustion, endured sleepless nights, and gone without food. Wow. How many of you have been beaten for Christ? I didn't think anybody would probably raise their hands. Paul was beaten five times. Five times. And they didn't do 40 lashes. They would do 39 because if you got 40, then they couldn't beat you anymore again. He was imprisoned probably at least four major times in his life as a disciple. And he had angry mobs. People attacked him as he would preach the word. Remember, he used to take off and have to run out of town because people were after him. That's the amazing thing is that, you know, here's this man doing this work for God and he's still having these kind of hardships in his life. Emotionally, it must have affected him. Mentally, it must have affected him. I mean, it definitely, these things that he's talking about here physically affected him. He said he worked to exhaustion. You're going, what? What? What is that? Paul said he would work day and night. That's what he did. He would go and preach the word, and, and, and most of the other guys would get money for preaching, and Paul said, I don't want to put a burden on you. Don't worry about it. I'm a tent maker. I'm just going to work. So he'd work all day long, and he'd be preaching all night, and he just worked himself into exhaustion. That's what he's talking about there. He poured himself as a drink offering, it says in one of the Gospels. I remember reading that as a young pastor and said, wow, that's talking about sacrifice. That's talking about pouring out, you know, and just giving, and it just exhausts you. And it does exhaust you at times. Ministering to people exhausts you. Serving people can exhaust you. He had sleepless nights. What does that mean? He was probably praying. He was probably so mindful of the churches and what was going on there and, and about George over here or, or Anne. Or, or, and he just constantly found himself probably not sleeping, but just praying for people, just praying. He had no food, hunger, he said. That's probably the times fasting to see the power of God break through in, in a situation that needed God's power. Six and seven, he says this, we prove ourselves, and talking about proving himself as a true minister, by our purity, our understanding, our patience, our kindness, by the Holy Spirit within us, and by our sincere love. We faithfully preach the truth. God's power is working in us. We use the weapons of righteousness in the right hand for attack and in the left hand for defense. Paul proved himself as a minister. And you're saying, why is he doing this? Why is he saying these things? Because he was constantly attacked. They constantly said, this is no true apostle of God. 
And the man, I'm telling you, next to Jesus did some powerful things and changed so many thousands of lives. In purity, he says, I proved myself to be a minister. He was blameless. He had no fleshly sins that were hanging on to him. There wasn't anything somebody could put on Facebook and just destroy his life with. He had understanding, he said. Listen, he knew the Bible through and through. He knew Jesus through and through. And anybody who wants to be a, a, a minister, a servant of God, you need to know God and you need to know his word. He said he had patience. That's one of the fruit of the Spirit. I, one commentary I was looking at was talking about that, that he wasn't really given to being irritated, you know, by people coming and wanting from him all of the time. Then kindness. Kindness is goodness in action. That's what it is. And then he says, by the Holy Spirit. Listen, this man was full of the Holy Spirit, and he continued to keep getting filled with the Spirit. Do you guys understand something? As you give, it, it, it starts coming out is what it does. You, that's why you need to keep getting filled over and over and over and over again. That's why those times of worship, wow, I just sit there and just under the stream of God. You just get filled. Your tank gets filled up. That's why we come to church, get filled up with the Spirit. Then he had sincere faith. That's, that's that deep love for the church. That's that agape love that says, I'm going to love you no matter what you do to me. That's agape love. That's the kind of love this man had. True ministers have that kind. You can do them wrong and they'll still look at you and say, brother, I love you, man. I love you. I love you because Jesus loves you. He preached the truth. The truth that he's talking about here is the gospel. He said, I preached it. I mean, we could spend a long time on all of this stuff. There's so much good stuff in here. And then he had the power of God. He rested on Jesus' power. That's what he did. Not my own strength, Lord, but I'm going to do this in your power. I know I can defeat this, not with my physical being, but with your power and with the Holy Spirit. These men are trying to destroy me and take me down, but Lord, I'm going to keep pushing on. I'm going to keep pushing on. You know, I, I get a picture of, of like a sail ship just in the, the blackest of nights and storms and winds blowing and, and trying to get through that. And Paul going, don't worry about it. We're just going to make it. Keep going. Keep going. He used weapons of righteousness. He accessed the arsenal and the armor of God. Listen, some of you are being defeated because you're not accessing in the armor of God. And it talks about that talks about all of the elements that you need to put on, the helmet of salvation, the shield of faith, all of that. Some of you are being defeated because you're not accessing that armor. Paul said, I use it for what? The right for, for or one for attacking and, and, you know, defense and offense. Let's go on and we'll finish up with this. Eight. We serve God whether people honor us or despise us, whether they slander us or praise us. We are honest but they call us imposters. We are ignored even though we are well known. We live close to death, but we are still alive. We have been beaten, but we have not been killed. Our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritually, spiritual riches to others. We own nothing 
and yet we have everything. Kind of going back and forth on this contrasting thing here. Listen, Paul was going to serve God no matter what. It didn't matter to him. It really didn't. He says, I don't care if they honor me. I don't care if they despise me. It doesn't matter. Love me, hate me. I'm still going to love you, and I'm still going to be a minister for, for the king of kings, for our master. He said, I don't care if you slander me. I don't care if you praise me. I'm still going to serve God. I don't care what you say about me. He said, I, I, I don't care if you say I'm a liar, that I'm an imposter, that I'm a deceiver. He said, I'm still going to serve God because I know that I'm not. I know what I do. It's in honesty. Listen, they were saying he was doing these things because he wanted money or he wanted prestige and all of that. Paul did it because he loved God. He did, listen, he, he did it because his heart, he had a heart for God. I said, God, I'm going to preach it until the day I die. And he says, look, some people even ignore me. They have no clue who I am. But he says, but in the church of God, I'm well known. And in the court of heaven, he goes, I'm even more known. He knows my name. He says, I'm close to death. His tent was decaying. Just like my old stinky thing is decaying too, my tent. I look down on my arms. My wife goes, my gosh, what's wrong with your arms? It's decaying. That's 40-some-odd years of construction. That's what it does. It's decaying. Close to death, but yet alive in Christ, he says. And then he says, I've been beaten so many times, but they never killed me. I keep coming back. I'm the little, what's the little bunny? I keep coming back. He says, I have an aching heart, and sometimes I'm filled with joy. That's what ministry does to you. It gives you an aching heart, and it gives you a lot of joy. Parents, don't your kids do that to you? Oh, man, do they ever. And even when they get old, adults sometimes. You know, now I'm watching my little grandkids. So he's going to give me great grief and he's going to give me great joy. And then he says, we own nothing. We have no possessions. Paul had nothing, had no home, had no car, had no place. He had nothing, guys. He says, yep, I got it all. I got it all. What kind of perspective is that? He had a good reputation. He really did. He had a, 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 a good testimony, and that's what was so important for him. You know, as we wrap this up, listen, if we're going to reconcile people to Jesus, if we're going to bring back this world that's alienated to him, we better have a good testimony. We really need a good, sound testimony. We need to have a, a good reputation. And listen, Every one of you guys in this place, you're going to suffer hardship, calamities, and all of that. I can't tell you you're never going to have that. You will. You've heard me say before, you're going to have seasons of it. You're going to have waves of it. Right now, I'm in a pretty good place. The thing with the neighbor, it's all settled out. God has been victorious. <laughs> Serious. But that went, off for, that went on for a year and a half, two years. But you know what? It doesn't matter, guys. What I want you guys to put in your heart tonight is say, Lord, I, I don't care what comes at me. I, I don't care if I 
lose everything tomorrow. I'm still going to follow you. Can you guys do that? Yeah. Amen. Let's pray. Let's all stand up. Let's stand up, grab one another's hands. We talked about synergy tonight, so grab somebody's hand next to you. And I hadn't planned on doing that, but so it must be a thing that we need to do. Grab that hand, somebody, over there. Remember, we're partners, right? We're working together in Christ. So let's pray. Father God, we stand here tonight and we say, we're your partner, Lord. We're on team Jesus. And whatever you call us to do, Lord, we're gonna be willing to do it. We don't care, Lord. We don't care if we face hardships, calamities, troubles, whatever it is, Lord. We wanna be like the Apostle Paul. We wanna go to this world, Lord, and tell them that you love them so desperately and you love them with every being that you have and you want them to come to you, Lord God. Take this world that is so broken, Lord, and bring them to their knees and help them to see Jesus, Lord. And help them to see Jesus in us. Let us have a good, strong testimony, Lord. Help us. I know some are tonight going, man, I'm, I just haven't been living right for God. Lord, just want you to know, start living for him right tonight. You make the choice. He's reconciled you. He's given you his grace, and he'll walk with you step by step, day by day. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. Bless my brothers and sisters. Help them to take heaven with them tonight to this world that doesn't know you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you guys.